You're listening to The Joel Mark Harris Show. special guest on, author Peter Derbyshire. He is the writer of the Warhol Gang, Please, and has won the Canada Relit Award for Best Alternative Novel. He is also the author of several short stories. His newest novel is called The Dead Hamlet, and it is a supernatural thriller with written under the pen name Peter Roman. Uh, Peter is also by trade a journalist. He is a newspaper editor, so I will be asking him about the future of journalism and where newspapers specifically are heading. As for me, I am just about finished my first draft of my third novel, Signs of Horror. Uh, In addition, I am also working with a couple of producers on turning the John Webster series into a TV show. So, fingers crossed for me, hopefully that goes well. But let's get to the interview with Peter. Hi Peter, and welcome to the show. You just published a recent novel, Dead Hamlets. Can you tell me a little bit about the novel and the writing process behind it? Sure, The Dead Hamlets is the second book in the cross-series of supernatural thrillers that I write under the pen name Peter Roman. It's the uh, the first one was the the Mona Lisa sacrifice. Um, it sort of introduced the character of Cross, who is the poor soul who uh, many centuries ago woke up in the body of Christ after Christ shuffled off this mortal coil but left his body behind. So Christ's soul took off, but the body stayed. And uh, Cross is the guy who wakes up in this body and discovers he has magical powers and can perform various various tricks, even though he doesn't uh, really know uh, who he is or how he wound up in that body. Um, so the first one was, uh, the Mona Lisa sacrifice was Cross getting sort of caught up in a war between the angels that, uh, Judas figured prominently in, and Judas in, in my books is an ancient trickster god, not just a mortal who betrayed Christ. Um, and in the second book, uh, The Dead Hamlets, it kind of picks up where, uh, the Mona Lisa sacrifice ended, where, uh, Cross is in the thrall of the fairy queen. Um, and he is, uh, he has to sort of solve a mystery, uh, around, um, the haunting of these, of these, uh, productions of Hamlet that the, that the fairy like to put on. The fairy have a, of a strong relationship with, with theater and they love Hamlet, but every time they put on a production of Hamlet, some mysterious spirit kills one of the, one of the fairy court. Um, so they make Cross try and solve this mystery and he gets kind of drawn into this, this ghost story that, um, is a little trickier than he, than he first realized. Cool. Uh, so this is quite a departure from your last books. Why do you decide to go more of a fantasy or a supernatural um, genre, if you will? Yeah, my first two books, um, Please, which was a, a novel told in sort of episodes, I guess. So it was a bit of an experimental uh, literary fiction novel. <clears throat> and then uh, The Warhol Gang, which was a... Um, had elements of genre to it. There was a there was a bit of sci-fi to it. I mean, it was uh, 
the tale of a of a of a uh, young man who who um, works for a, a neuromarketing focus group, and he gets shown imaginary ads, and um, and starts hanging out with these these sort of underground activists slash insurance scammers who uh, who who do insurance scams at uh, at accident scenes, and it was a bit it was a bit you know seventy five percent today and twenty five percent the headlines of tomorrow. Um, I sort of pulled it out of the you know, newspapers, basically. And after I was done that, uh, it was kind of a grueling book for me to write. It was very, very bleak and dark, and um, just I was sort of learning how to write like a, a full-length novel when I was doing that because my first book wasn't wasn't a novel in the same way because it was told in episodes. So I was kind of exhausted, and um, I, I needed to do something a bit different. And I kind of had a few false starts at writing another literary fiction novel, but it just wasn't working. Um, so I, I decided to get back to my, to my roots and I had, I had started off writing genre fiction. So I had written horror stories and fantasy stories and sci-fi stories and all that kind of thing. And, um, I just wanted to write something fun again. Uh, and so I started publishing a number of short stories, including some, some weird Westerns in a, um, uh, my favorite online journal called Beneath Ceaseless Skies, which is, uh, speculative fiction, very highly literary speculative fiction. And I was having a just a good time, and it was sort of revitalizing me as a writer to write something that was in a in a totally different way, and 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 something that was just you know pure fun. So I decided to to try my hand at at some books because I had this idea for the cross books in, in in my head, and then I just realized I needed to brand it a bit differently because some of my friends were a bit confused when they they go from reading the Warhol Gang to reading my weird Western stories and. I could tell some liked it, but you know it wasn't for everybody. So I just decided to use the Peter Roman name as a um, as a different way of branding my 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 fiction stream. So Peter Darbyshire is the the literary fiction guy, and Peter Roman is the crazy supernatural thriller dude. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that some of your fans were confused with the different styles. How has the reception been for? Uh, Dead Hamlets and Mo- the Mona Lisa sacrifice. Oh, it's been fantastic, like far better than than I had anticipated. Um, I mean, I didn't try and hide the pen name thing, so everybody knew, you know, I was writing these books uh, under the name Peter Roman. And I would say most of the people who read uh, my earlier books read these ones and like them. Um, not everybody, but you know that that's fine because not everybody is is going to have the same the same taste. Um, but I was really very pleasantly surprised by how many new fans came to the to the Peter Roman books. So people who had never read the Peter Darbyshire books, or never probably still have never heard of Peter Darbyshire, but are reading the Mona Lisa Sacrifice and, and the Dead Hamlets. And um, I'm I'm happy too that you know genre can be tricky because it's you know there's a lot of people who want the same thing every time you know they want the sword and source you yeah. know they want the space opera or whatever um and i wasn't doing uh you know i wasn't doing the same thing i wasn't doing traditional stuff i mean i was trying to break some of the genre rules with the cross books in the same way that i broke you know some of the rules of my literary fiction books and i was trying to write really highly literary um genre stuff and and you know sometimes Sometimes literary fiction can be a can be an ugly word in in, in some communities, but uh, I was a bit nervous about it. But I was I was being really really happy at at the reception. Um, you know, everybody I think is sort of uh, 
you know, understood what I'm trying to do with the books and, and that I am trying to break a few rules and, and, and try and tell some stories in, in a little different way. I was sort of expecting a religious backlash, um, and I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised that that actually hasn't happened, um, that people are sort of, you know, taking these things in the, in the spirit in which they're intended. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, from what I've seen, there's definitely been a huge reception to it and lots of uh, good comments from what I've read. Uh, why did you include all those uh, religious symbols or have a religious tone to your your books, your two uh, your two new ones? It, it's it's the idea I got. Um, it was. I mean, the the idea originated with the character. Like the idea for the series originated with the character of Cross. So I was um, years ago. Uh, I was just sitting around watching TV one night, and I was watching the History Channel or something. I can't even remember. And I started thinking about a uh, a poem I had studied in uh, medieval uh, literature uh, course back when I was a student at Western University in, in London, Ontario. And it was this, um, or maybe an old English poem, I guess it was. It was a, a poem called uh, The Dream of the Rude. And uh, it's a fairly long poem, and part of it tells the story of the crucifixion from the perspective of the cross that bore Christ. Mm. Uh, and, and this cross is, you know, it's like a speaking character in, in this poem, and this cross is talking about what an enormous responsibility it was to bear this great weight um, and to bear this great figure, and, you know, it sort of had to rise to the occasion. Um, and, and I'd always really, really loved that poem because I just thought it was, it was so, so interesting, you know, like it was such an interesting take on that event that, you know, it's the only time I can think of that it's been told that way. Um, and I was, I was thinking about this poem and it just sort of popped into my head that, you know, what if, 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 if Christ was, you know, the, the spirit, the, you know, the Holy Ghost and all that business, right? Um, but the physical body was just, you know, the, the equivalent of that cross, you know, that thing that sort of bears the spirit and then gets left behind when all is said and done. Um, and then what happens with that body? And that was sort of the idea that popped in my head. And then, you know, I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then almost immediately I thought, well, what if another soul pops into that body? Because if it can hold one, it can hold another. And that's where I got the idea for Cross, and and I had the idea for the character for a while, and I was like, what am I gonna, what you know, what am I gonna do with this character? And um, I didn't I didn't have any story or anything like that. And then I, a little while later, I started thinking about um, the Gaudi Church in Barcelona. I don't know if you know that one or not. No. Um, it's this fantastic. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I think <laughs> it gets described as gothic sometimes, but it, it's just, okay. it, it's its own entity. Um, uh, you know, Gaudi was this just amazing, uh, you know, architect and, um, it's a church that still has not been completed today. He died before it was completed and, um, and they're still working on it, sort of trying to, to guess at his plans, I think. Um, it, it's just this fantastic sort of dream, you know, that, that somehow got stuck in our reality. And I, I'd learned about that church also in university, and and I'd gone to see it uh, when I when I traveled in in Spain. I went to Barcelona specifically to see this church, and I started thinking about the the church, and then I I just had this scene in my head of of my character of Cross chasing an angel into this church and killing an angel in this church, and that's when I started to work out the story of who Cross was and and what he was doing, and you know then the Mona Lisa sacrifice came together. Um, 
and I'd had the story for the the dead Hamlet sort of in the back of my mind for a while, actually, even before Cross, I just had this idea of this sort of, you know, ghost story that was set in the theater world around Hamlet, and I kind of just, you know, uh, I kind of met up with, with the Cross books. And then I'm just, I've just finished the third one now, which is called uh, The Apocalypse Arc, um, and then uh, that'll be out in, in spring of 2016. Cool. So you did a bit of a book tour for your last one for Dead Hamlet's do you think that's still an effective way of selling books? Um, well, I did. I didn't really do a book tour. I mean, I've done. I've done some readings. I did a blog tour. Okay. Um, book tours. I think book tours are effective if you're a bestseller and you can draw a crowd. Um, I don't think. I don't think people come out just to see writers anymore. I think if they ever did, um, <laughs> I think I think maybe there was a time, you know, before social media when it was uh, when you didn't have easy access to a writer. I think maybe if there was an event happening, you know, at your university or your you know bookstore cafe or even your chapters or whatever, people would go and see it. And I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think people will go and see somebody they know or they've heard of. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, at least it's been in my experience, that people generally don't go and see a writer they don't know just for the hell of it. Um, so I think book tours only work if you're already getting that sort of – if you're getting that audience you already have to come out to it. Um, blog tours, I think, are are different. And, and, and the way blog tours work is, you know, you go into somebody else's blog and you – whatever you can talk about the book or you can talk about something unrelated so i i did a blog tour and i went on you know john scalzi's whatever blog and and he's got a feature called the big idea where writers talk about the one big idea about their new book and i went and i did that i talked on scalzi's blog about um the big idea behind the mona lisa sacrifice and the dead hamlets but there are other ones you know i went on kate hartfield blog and she's a uh, um yeah, ottawa area uh, spec fiction writer and a, and a journalist and I talked about how the Gaudi Church had affected me as as a writer, which was sort of it was kind of connected to the books, but only in a very loose way. Um, so sometimes you talk about the books, and sometimes you you talk about things completely different. And I find that blog tours, uh, I mean, a they're yeah they're a good way of getting people to know about your book because you're giving them some article that's interesting for them to read. But b it's also fun to do as a writer in a way that I, I don't really always enjoy readings and physical appearances because it's like reading, yeah. from, reading from the book that I'm sort of sick of reading from at that point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a bit of a show and all that kind of stuff. When you when you go and write something on somebody else's blog, that, that that's a different thing. Or when you go and read somebody else's essay on a, on a, on a blog, that's that's a totally different thing that, than, than, you know, reading from that book again. Um, you know, in a way... You know, you're not trying to sort of pitch your book, right? You're you're actually yeah. engaging in, you know, some interesting conversation with with the broader community. So, I, I quite enjoy doing those because you know, writing's a lonely business sometimes, right? And and uh, if you're going to get stuck behind your your keyboard in an office, at least you can sort of get out and talk to other people every now and then. Yeah. Uh, so you have you you you're an editor for the province newspaper, correct? That's right. Yeah. And so obviously you have a family. Uh, This is the question that I really want to ask the most is how do you find time 
to write <laughs> and deal with all that other things. I, jeez, I was going to ask you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's difficult. I mean, the cross, the two cross books I've written, the bulk of, um, certainly the bulk of the first one was written before my first son was born. Mm. Um, and, you know, publishing moves at that delightfully glacial speed. So by the time, you know, it came out, you know, my son was, you know, ready to go off to university. Um, <laughs> uh, the second, the second cross book, uh, was, uh, I had a, I had a draft done, but it was very rough. So there was a lot more, uh, re, you know, rewriting that was involved in that one. Um, I certainly have less writing time now than I did before my children were born. And, and that's, you know, the, the, you know, hear that from any writer. That said, I think I'm much more effective in the use of my time. Like before I would have like, you know, an eight hour block of writing time three or four days a week. And I would go in and I'd check my Facebook and I'd play a little Warcraft and, you know, get a couple hours of writing done. And now it's like I've dropped everything that, you know, um, would distract me from you know anything that's sort of a waste of time and and pared it right back down and so I have a you know two hour block of writing but I use those two hours so I probably have the same amount of writing time um, at the end of the day it's I mean part of it is I, I went I, I don't work full time at the province I used to and I, I went down to a four day work week um, gotcha. just so I'd have a little bit more time to to write and spend with the family. So I probably write about you know, 10 hours a week. There's there's two days that I sort of have for writing and then sometimes a third, depending on what's happening. Um, part of the part of the problem is I'm only good for about three or four hours tops writing anyways. Right. And then I'm done. I, I know. I'd, so, I mean, I, I kind of need a job at some point because I, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Money aside, like I, I need something to 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 do with myself. So because I, I, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't write for more than four hours a day. So even if I was writing full time, it'd still be like you know a part time job for me. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and you know when it comes to the province, I mean it's 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 good. I worked in you know different a few different media jobs before that, and it's uh, I find it you know it sort of feeds my literary fiction because anything in the news is always stranger than than anything you could possibly dream up you know, for, for your books. Right. So, um, certainly some of the Warhol gang had its origins in, you know, newspaper headlines for sure. Um, it doesn't creep into the, into the supernatural fiction, the cross books the same way, but, um, it's, it's good just to, you know, it's, uh, I I like having a different career that isn't about, isn't about my writing. I, I still do a lot of writing for the province, but it's, it's nice to have something that, you know, your whole identity isn't wrapped up in, in this, sort of desperate struggle that writing always is, right? Um, you know, you're only as good as your last book. You're always worrying about contracts and stuff like that. So to have that kind of stability and, you know, outside interest in in, in different things, I, I think is pretty useful. And, you know, everybody approaches it their own way. I, it'd be nice to have the financial freedom to be able to write full time, but I, I don't know if that would be necessarily good for my state of mind. <laughs> you might go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so having a inside picture into the newspaper world, where do you think that uh, journalism, specifically newspapers, are going to be heading? <laughs> well, if I had the answer to that, I'd be <laughs> the chain. Um, 
It's a tough one. It's you know we're we're in a stage of reinvention, and I don't think that reinvention is going to stop because I don't think that the the technological disruptions have stopped yet. So, you know, um, you know things like whatever Facebook and and and, and blogs and and you know linkedin and, and craigslist and all those things i mean you know those are those are here to stay but I, I think there's probably more things coming yet that will probably disrupt it i don't i don't think it's necessarily all a bad thing um you know newspapers have always been adapting and, and i think we're adapting now i mean we're you know we're sort of there's been a lot of downsizing in the newspaper industry but a lot of that downsizing is sort of shedding the the print infrastructure and and trying to become more nimble web first operations and and those aren't necessarily bad things i know like with the province there's a you know there's a big push to do a lot of video and to do a lot of podcasting and that sort of stuff and i i think i think that's good so yeah. yeah so i mean you know all the papers are in the process of of reinventing themselves and reaching out to, you know, the same audiences in a different way and perhaps reaching out to different audiences. I think you're going to continue to see newsrooms transform. Um, and I don't know that newsrooms necessarily have a, a, a long plan when it comes to that transformation any more than anybody else does. You know, I, like, I don't know how long of a plan Facebook has, right? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, you know, everybody is trying a bunch of different things, seeing what sticks and then, and then going from there and, uh, um, you know, waiting to see what the next, what the next big disruption is going to be. It's, um, it's interesting times. Yeah. It's, I, I, I you know, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I, I worry about my job as much as the next journalist, but I'm, I'm also I also find it a very exciting and, and in some ways liberating time to be in. I mean, uh, I'm able to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a web editor technically, but I also work on the print product. But but I also do a lot of writing and I do podcasts and I do. I'll probably be doing video at some point. And you know, ten years ago when I got into the business, that would have been unimaginable. Everybody was slotted into their union category job, <laughs> and um, and you were there for the rest of your life, kind of thing, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, to me, it's a very exciting, creative time. I I don't know if if you know I'll I'll survive to my, my pension, you know? <laughs> but um, it's. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting time, and, and the sort of reach we have is 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 greater than ever. You know, recently I wrote an article, a little column, last week about um, giving some thought to to healthcare workers. There was a, an article or a photo that that went viral on Reddit of a of an emergency room doctor um, sort of breaking down outside the hospital after he'd lost a patient, um, and it, you know touched a nerve with with people who were like, "Oh, right, doctors are human too." And and I wrote a column about my own response because I spent a lot of time in, in hospitals with my my older son who um, who had some uh, uh, respiratory issues, a childhood asthma, and we had a lot of hospital stays. And I you know I really came to develop this in, in deep deep appreciation for healthcare workers. And so I wrote this column that was you know very quickly written because I didn't have much time. I probably wrote it in half an hour and posted it on a blog and put it up on the site and it just went everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. and I was getting, you know, comments from people in the States and the other parts of Canada and, and stuff on it. And that just wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. You were in your market and, and, you know, that was read by the people in your market and, and that was it. So, so it's a challenging time in the media. Um, but I think it's, it's also an incredibly rewarding, uh, time at points. Wow. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. 
so you published one of your short stories, I've Never Been Shot for Real, that was completely on your website. Is that correct? Or did you have any uh, distribution on with online uh, magazines? Yeah, no, I, I, I published that in um, Kindle. Like I published it as a, as a you know, standalone short story. Yeah. Um, so I, I published it on Kindle and iBooks and, uh, you know, whatever the others were. I can't remember Google Play and, and, and Nook and all that kind of stuff. It's a fairly long short story, but um, it's kind of a, a sequel, very loose sequel to, to Please, my first book, where it's got the same narrator and I just revisit him about 10 years later. I had this idea for a story and, and I was thinking thinking about it. It was a story sort of set in the... Um, in the uh, long-term aftermath of, of 9-11. And just the voice and the way that it came to me was very similar to the the, the same voice and as as Please, my first book. And I just thought, well, why not make it the same narrator, you know, and, and, and see what happens. It was sort of an experiment. So I wrote it, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, the hapless sort of guy from Please as he... Um, on one of the anniversaries of 9/11, and he winds up in a in a sex club where there is a gun, then and the gun goes off. Um, and I, I I had originally sort of pitched it to a few different um, magazines, but it was too long, um, and that was their, their polite response. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been too weird, uh, but uh, it was it was definitely too long. Like I couldn't get it down to the you know it's over. I think it was over ten thousand words, and yeah. that's pretty long for. Uh, for a short story, um, so I thought, well, let's let's just publish it. Um, you know, do the self-publishing slash indie publishing thing, and, and you know, I went and bought a cover on one of the um, you know graphic design uh, um, you know photo sites, and uh, put up a cover and, and loaded it up, and just threw it out there, and you know, it uh, sells here and there, and it is what it is. <laughs> so, would you do it again? You figure? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, it depends. It's, it's a case by case thing, right? Um, you know, if, if it was if it was something shorter, it'd be it has to be sort of a certain length, I think, before people will will buy it and, and think they have their values worth even at, at ninety nine cents, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to put a five hundred word story up and sell it for ninety nine cents because you know that'd just be ripping people off, essentially, right? <laughs> um, so it depends. I mean, it you know it 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 did okay. It, it hasn't earned me a ton of money in terms of like you know people like to talk about the finances of it, but it was a way to get the distribution that I probably wasn't gonna ever sell it in you know to a print magazine, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe I could have sold it to somebody who wanted to publish it online or something, but it yeah. was an experiment. And uh, you know, I I would probably get paid more from a magazine for it, but it was mm-hmm. also it was nice just to go, oh, I'm just going to put it up and do it and not have to wait and, and get, you know, editorial approval and, um, wait yeah. two years for it to come out. And, and you know, the, the things that always happen when you deal with print. So would I do it again? Maybe it, it would, it would depend on the story. I think there are certain genre, uh, elements that affect those things. I, I think it's easier to find an audience if you've written a probably fantasy, sci-fi, or mystery or romance story than, than literary fiction, um, those genre readers seem more open to 
to uh, reading e-books, um, and they were um, sort of early adopters of, of Kindle and other, um, uh, you know, Sony Reader and other uh, e-book platforms. Literary fiction sort of lags behind that way, so I'd be curious to do it to, to publish a, a, a genre piece and sort of compare the two. Yeah, um, I haven't done that yet, but I may do it somewhere down the road just as an experiment, just because I am I am curious. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would do it again. I probably will do it again. I just don't have anything to do it with right now. <laughs> I think the nice thing about that, uh, platform is that it will keep generating revenue for you. Yeah. Even, you know, like 10, 20 years from now. So something to consider. Sure. And you know, yeah, that's part of it. I mean, to me, it was more about getting the readers because, you know, let's say I publish with whatever Canlet journal want, wants to take it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I say I publish with Prairie Oyster. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, and Prairie Oysters reaches, you know, 1,000 copies spread throughout Canada in university libraries. Like, you know, let's take that <laughs> as an example. Um you know, only those people who are who are going to be where they can find that magazine can can read that, right? So, yeah. You know, my American readers can't read that. So the nice thing about the, the being able to publish the ebook for a form like that, especially when I'm publishing myself and I'm not dealing with any rights issues like you know a regular publisher would have to, then you know anybody can read that. You know, like somebody in Australia can download it just as easily as as you know my next door neighbor in in Vancouver could, and I certainly hope my next door neighbor never does download that. <laughs> but, They'll look at you funny as you go to work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So so it's not the. I mean, you know, the yeah, the money is obviously you know it's it it's part of the you know part of the publishing process, but. To me, the struggle has always been the, the the reach and 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 finding the readers and you know getting getting access to the readers and the readers getting access to your work and that's I think that's the big revolution of of indie publishing you know where everybody's on these blogs going I made you know hundred thousand dollars this month and you know <laughs> I'm thinking okay that's fine but really what you're saying is you got you know whatever it was fifty thousand twenty five thousand readers and that's fantastic yeah. So, what are you working on next? So, I've, I've finished a, um, a uh, hopefully a sort of working draft of the Apocalypse Arc, the third book in the Cross series, and it's just out with somebody now getting read to see if the structure of it works or not. Um, I've got some ideas for some more weird Western stories that, that uh, I would like to do. I, I've sort of published these three angel gunslinger stories that I kind of want to expand into a book. Um, but I think I also want to do a, um, uh, some more literary stuff. It's, uh, you know, I find bouncing back and forth between the two is, is, is really good for me in the same way that, you know, having this sort of journalism career as well as the writing career, it's good because it stimulates different parts of my mind and kind of always keeps me going and avoids burnout. And I find switching, switching genres essentially as a writer does the same thing. It helps me avoid burnout and, um, and keeps me creative. I mean, I do get burned out. Like right now, I'm feeling a little burned out on the on the speculative fiction side, just because I've done three books in a relatively short time frame. Yeah. Plus my stories that I've been publishing at the same time. Um, and if I if that's all I was writing, I'd probably be going, okay, it's time for a break. But and in fact, what I'm what I'm thinking now is like, oh, I got this idea for a lit book, and uh, let's see if I can let's see if I can develop that. Um, so. 
So we'll see. I've got I've got a bunch of ideas, and you know, one of them may stick. Yeah, sounds like it. So if people want to check out more about you, where do they go? You can go to peterdarbyshire.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and Instagram and Goodreads. You know, all the usual uh, social media outlets. So I'm 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 easily found. I don't I don't try and hide. <laughs> All right, thanks, Peter, for being on the show. All right, thank you. And, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Okay, bye. All right, man. Thanks for listening to the Joel Mark Harris Show. If you like the show, go to joelmarkharris.com and subscribe to my newsletter to receive future podcasts. That's joelmarkharris.com. Thanks again. Want to hear more? Don't miss a single episode. Go to joelmarkharris.com slash podcast to subscribe today.